Good morning, Brew Daily Show. I'm Neil Fryman. And I'm Toby Howell. Today, we hand out awards for the biggest, most viral, and floppiest business stories of the year. Even better, no one has to give an acceptance speech. It's Friday, December 29th. Let's ride. So every winter, Morning Brew's newsletter asks its readers to vote on the Golden Mug Awards, which is like the Oscars, but much bigger and for business news. In today's show, we are going to reveal the winners and the runners-up in four categories. Business, biggest business news story, story you most forgot about, most viral story, and the flop of the year award, and discuss whether, in our opinion, brew readers made the right choices. Plus, in each category, Neil and I gave ourselves a captain's pick on a story that we felt super passionate about, and then Chris Rock slap each other if we don't agree. But before we get into the award show, I want to hand out my own award, MBD sponsor Yahoo Finance. Get on up here. You just won the Charlie Munger Memorial Finance Platform of the Year Award. (laughs) This might have been the least dramatic race in history. Yep. This is like when the Return of the King romped through the 2004 Oscars with 11 wins. There's just no competing with what Yahoo Finance can offer, from key business news updates to real-time financial data, all in one place. Yahoo Finance wants to thank its family for supporting it through the rough times, but most of all, it wants to thank you, MBD listeners, for sure showing them so much love over the past year. So before the music cuts us off, make sure you head to finance.yahoo.com or download the mobile app to see why it's head and shoulders above the rest. Now, let's get to those awards. Our first award to hand out is the biggest business news story of the year. It's a huge one. Morning Brew readers picked ChatGPT and AI eating the world for this one. And to me, it is clearly the correct choice. Why? It's simple. Follow the money. Capital flooded into AI development this year. Microsoft invested $13 billion into ChatGPT creator OpenAI. NVIDIA. NVIDIA, I'm sorry. I didn't learn anything this year, obviously. The company that makes the chips that power AI systems spiked more than 230% to top a $1 trillion valuation. And four-week-old startups were raising hundreds of millions of dollars without releasing a single product. It is a flat-out gold rush, and it shows that investors truly think Generative AI will change everything, how we work, how we communicate, how we think of and make art. But with great opportunity comes great risk. This year, governments across the globe have been racing to create guardrails around this rapidly advancing technology. Major world powers, including the US, EU, and China, warned that AI could bring about catastrophic harm to humans if left unchecked. Elon Musk called AI the most disruptive force in history and one that would eventually replace human jobs. Even Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, signed an open letter warning that unregulated AI could lead could be the asteroid that wipes out humanity. So it's possible we'll look back at this year, 2023, like we do 1712 when Thomas Newcomen designed the prototype for the first modern steam engine, sparking the Industrial Revolution. Or... It's possible AI won't live up to the hype and we're once again being carried away in a giant tech bubble. I think it's got to be the former and it's not the latter at all because, again, the monetary aspect, but also just the fear you hear in some of these voices. Like That's been one of the main discourses around AI is, are we moving too fast? And there's not a lot of technologies that make people discuss it and try to regulate it in the way that it does. So I just think in sheer terms of 
the money in sheer terms of how afraid people are, it is not a flash in the pan at all. Yeah, I mean, Google, just, just one example of how much money is flowing into AI this year and how much is at stake here. It was boosting the stock market for the entire year and especially the Magnificent Seven, which are these seven tech stocks. Google released its chatbot Bard and it got one answer wrong in its premiere and Google lost $100 billion in market cap because of that one flop. So there, the expectations are through the roof. And if we just look at Wikipedia as a proxy for what people are interested in, if we're trying to crown the biggest news story of the year, ChatGPT was the most viewed article on Wikipedia. So I think it's safe to say that brew readers and brew listeners got this one totally right. So the runner up in this category for biggest news story of the year was the Fed hiking interest rates to 22 years highs. Just for some perspective, the last time we got rates as high as this past year, President George W. Bush had just taken office, and we were still jamming out on MP3 players. We withstood 11 rate increases since March of last year as we left the days of zero interest rates far behind, and Jerome Powell desperately tried to get inflation under control. Just the sheer amount of things rate hikes affects leads me to believe that this could have been the number one story of the year. Mortgage rates reached 20-year high, Treasury bond yields spike, and there was a general sense that we could slip into a recession at any moment. Neil, if someone had taken a shot for every time we mentioned interest rates this past year, they'd have been sloshed. Yeah, I think in terms of economic impact to everyone's wallets, there's no question that the Fed raising interest rates to, to such extraordinarily high levels in such a rapid fashion. I mean, this started back in the spring 2022. And as we're talking now, it seems like they've just stopped. So in terms of, yeah, what, what affects my wallet? What affects my daily life? I think something, even if it's the Fed, something you don't actively think about, it is just kind of ruling your life from your 401k to how much you pay for a house to how much you pay for your credit card loan and all of that stuff. Also, just in my lifetimes or since I can remember kind of paying attention to what's going on in the broader financial market, I lived, I was a zero interest rate phenomenon, baby. Like I had only known this this era of cheap money. So to see these interest rates rising to 22-year highs was something that I had never experienced. And so there was a lot of ripple effects. My money sitting in a cash account is doing, uh, or a money market account is doing very well. It's yielding 5.5% right now. We talked about it being the golden age of cash. So again, if we're talking about what hits people in their wallets where it matters most, yeah, it could, have been, it could have been number one. And, and it looks like the Fed may have may have pulled us off, this soft landing, bringing down inflation from 9%. It's, it's around 3% now. It's on its way back to 2%. It might be bumpy, but we have not entered a recession yet. And I think we can, we can thank consumer spending and possibly all of the movies and concerts that happened this year. People were, we had a lot of savings and they were willing to shell out for, for these goods and services. So... Yeah, maybe the Fed pulled it off. We'll see next year whether we go into a recession wood. or not. Knock on wood. Okay, let's get into our captain's picks now for biggest business story of the year. My captain's pick is Hot Strike Summer. This year was one of the busiest in the 21st century for labor organizing with Hollywood actors and writers, auto workers, pharmaceutical staff, hotel workers, and many others hitting the picket line. As of October, there had been 312 strikes involving about 453,000 workers compared to 180 strikes involving 44,000 workers two years before. And it paid off because these striking workers secured historic gains. Auto workers at Detroit's Big Three got a 25% increase in wages. Hollywood creatives got protections from AI. And UPS drivers who threatened a strike 
stand to make $170,000 by the end of their new contract. Toby, what do you make of all this labor activity? It does seem to go kind of in waves and in cycles because you see one uh, labor organization or the other start to strike and then others kind of follow suit once they see that they have leverage right now. And workers have had leverage. It's been a very tight labor market. Unemployment has stayed below 4% all year, which is pretty crazy when you consider the rate hikes that we've been seeing. So it does seem like these things happen in bunches and great summer overall for, for labor activity. Okay, my captain's pick is the Ozempic craze. Again, I look for widespread ripple effects, Neil. You know this. And this diabetes medication turned super weight loss drug extraordinaire has those ripple effects. The snack industry is bracing for a downturn. The airline industry is forecasted to save millions on jet fuel. And diet companies are quaking in their boots all because this class of drug is going to lead to an overall lighter population. So in terms of those ripples, I feel very comfortable picking Ozempic as the biggest business news story of the yeah, year. I was just listening to another podcast where Derek Thompson had uh, the people come on and present the bull case and the bear case for Ozempic, Wigovi, this whole class of drugs. The bull case is that these are incredible behavioral modifiers. They, they don't just help you lose weight, but they have they have numerous ripple effects like you were talking about on the economy. They're going to, because they also serve sometimes as anti-addiction drugs. So you're going to, you're going to crave less alcohol. You're going to crave less snacks and you're going to opt for more veggies and fish. And who knows what kind of ripple effects that will have. There is a bear case. There are serious side effects here that are still being figured out because these are relatively new class of drug. And then there's the cost situation. Insurers don't cover it yet and they may not. We'll see. But that is the big question because right now it is it is unaffordable. Those are the two big bear cases for me is will people be able to afford it and then will they be able to produce enough of this drug to go around and actually make the impacts that all of these forecasts are kind of foreseeing. But there's no doubt it's had huge effects. I mean, you've had Novo Nordisk, which makes Ozempic and Wagovi soar to become the most valuable European company past LVMH and Eli Lilly, which makes Manjaro, the same class of drug, is now the biggest pharmaceutical company in the world. Meanwhile, Pfizer, which did so well during the pandemic with its vaccine, has not been able to produce something that, that has been able to compete with these other ones, and it has completely floundered this year. It's crazy how fortunes can change so quickly in that industry. All right, let's move on to our next category, which is the news story you most forgot about, ironically. And again, you all nailed this one, in my opinion. King Charles III's coronation. This year, there was a full-on procession from Buckingham Palace to Westminster. Charles was presented with a scepter and an orb, given a crown worth more than $57 million, and he ascended to a literal throne in front of 2,200 people. And yet no one remembers it. I think it's because support for the monarchy has just been declining in recent years, especially as Prince Andrew controversies surface, and of course, all the Prince Harry and Meghan drama. So I think people are just burnt out on the royals. Neil. Yeah, uh, the only thing I remember about the coronation was that it disrupted Premier League games for a weekend. I was so annoying, especially from a fantasy Premier League perspective. It still does get attention, though. 10.3 million people in the U.S. tuned in. That's roughly 1 million fewer than Queen Elizabeth's funeral, but it's also just a third of the almost 30 million people who watch Prince Harry and Meghan's weddings. Everyone still loves a royal wedding. I mean, you forgot Queen Elizabeth died. I know. Well, that's true. But hey, listen, I, there's only so many news stories you can fit in your brain. All right, what's our next? All thing? right, the runner up for the news story you most forgot about is the song Rich Men North of Richmond, a working class anthem from no name Virginia artist Oliver Anthony. For a few days in August, this song was all anyone was talking about. It debuted on the top of the Billboard Hot 100 and was used by conservative politicians to highlight how elite liberals were out of touch with the 
regular folk of America. Anthony later told all the politicians, holding him up as a hero to knock it off. He said, I sit pretty dead center down the aisle on politics and always have. I see the right trying to characterize me as one of their own, and I see the left trying to discredit me, I guess in retaliation. That's got to stop. Rich men north of Richmond, Toby. Footnote in history or maybe a symbol of American culture in 2023? Yeah, I think it's a snapshot of a specific moment in time. There was just so much grift happening on either side of the song where, again, it was this little-known guy. The song was pretty good. Like, Let's mention that, that the dude can clearly sing. But how it was co-opted by both political parties was just kind of something that really thrust it in the forefront of people's minds, but I don't think there will be any lasting cultural impact from the, from this. Okay, my captain's pick in this category is the Titan submersible that imploded on its way down to the Titanic. My most vivid memory of this year is sitting at our desk when the report dropped that tapping sounds had been picked up during the search for this missing sub. We eventually learned that the sub had imploded in milliseconds due to a flaw in the whole design. And so the search... While the search was afoot, it was all anyone could talk about. Just everything from the hubris of the CEO to build the, building the sub out of carbon fiber to the fact that they were diving the Titanic, all of it combined into a story that was maybe smaller in scope than others we've mentioned, but certainly big enough to remember. Yeah, the one thing the one thing that stood out for me, this is, I did not forget this story. So I don't know if people forgot this story, but it was kind of a big deal, and maybe it shouldn't have been a big deal. My most vivid memory is the resurgence of James Cameron, who directed the Titanic, because I didn't know this uh, going in, but he is a submersible expert. So he was giving interviews all over the place and is one of his most incredible quotes during this whole saga. He said that he's calculated that he spent more time on the ship, the Titanic, than the captain did back in the day. It's such a James Cameron quote. This whole story, people were kind of divided on because at the one at one point, there was that whole oxygen craze where that's what we were all counting down was they were running out of oxygen slowly if they were still stuck down there and, and unmoored in some way. And so you didn't want to actively kind of root against these people. And yeah, like, they died. Yeah, it was, an, it was a very tragic story. But then the, there was the fact that a lot of them were wealthy and billionaires and that there was like the hubris involved of diving to a Titanic in a submarine designed by the, the CEO in a way that a lot of people said was just, again, there was a ton of hubris involved. He made it out of carbon fiber. It wasn't, it, the safety precautions were also designed by him. So it was just all this cluster of emotions that yeah. people were feeling around it. And it turns out the whole search was for naught because it, it had imploded seconds. There, were, there was discussion about whether this would maybe reduce or mitigate the rise of extreme tourism of people going to the extreme depths of the earth or up to the highest mountains or into outer space. And I don't think there's been any lasting impact in that regard. Absolutely not. I think it's human nature to, to strive for the highest mountains and die for the deepest depths. Yeah, there you go. Okay, my captain's pick in the story you most forgot about is the smoke from Canadian wildfires that blanketed New York and other northeastern cities for a few days this summer. It was really crazy from a sensory perspective to see orange, hazy skies and to smell fire that was burning hundreds of miles away. But also, it took a toll mentally, which I wasn't expecting. All you were thinking about that week was your breathing and whether it was being impacted by the smoke and you just couldn't think about anything else. And for many people in New York, I feel like this was a wake up call about climate change and a realization that you're not really shielded from environmental disasters, even in this concrete jungle. Yeah, wake-up call was definitely the word for it. I could not believe that I opened up an air quality index that showed global air pollution, and New York 
had the worst air quality of anywhere else in the world. And I'm sitting there reading that while sitting in New York. And so it just was one of those things where you often can look at climate change. You can look at these climate emergencies as something that happens around the world or not directly affecting you. But when it's literally around you in the air, you can no longer put your head in the sand. Yeah, I mean, we got out of the studio that morning. We walk out into our office and it just smells. And then you look outside and it's orange. And this thing is seeping through the windows. And I don't know. I just I just remember not being able to concentrate. I was focusing on my breath. I was like, what, what is going on here? And, you know, people live with that every day in, in cities where, you know, the, the air quality is terrible. And so it was just an interesting, interesting wake up call for us. It was also the memes were outrageous as well because Blade Runner got a lot of shouts. Also, Diablo, the video game launched around the same time. So there was this billboard showing Diablo, which is a game that kind of has devilish or hellish undertones juxtaposed against the sky and you're like that is one of the greatest marketing ploys that you can have speaking of marketing our next uh, category is the viral moment of the year and it was barbenheimer neil again brew readers nailed it it combined every single ingredient of pop culture into one viral mix you got a-list movie stars and directors endless memeability endless marketing budgets and a once in a generation juxtaposition of topic matter that may never be replicated again neil how much of you how much of this do you think was organic hype and how much of it was crafted by warner bros insane marketing push for i want to give all the credit to to regular people who took this and ran with it i mean i don't you can say that all the ingredients were there but i don't think it would have happened unless grassroots online social media people kind of took with it and ran with it and made the memes and made the t-shirts and just drum and started talking about it. And then only later did maybe the top down people, executives at Warner Brothers or large media organizations start writing about it. But I really think the driving force of Barbenheimer and really any viral situation is the people who make jokes and create really funny crap. I don't know if I fully agree with that, honestly, because the amount of marketing that Barbie did was not... You can't overlook it. Remember, they did the Airbnb, Ken's uh, Mojo Doja Kasha house, where they completely retrofitted the thing. They had the Dubai kind of AR uh, experience where Barbie was like stepping over their tall buildings. There was everything was branded pink, so much to the point that the world literally ran out of pink paint. But you're right. In terms of connecting the two movies, that did mostly come from. I also think you can't overlook just the name Barbenheimer. It just rolls off the tongue very well. So Incredible name. That that may have sparked everything and barbie wrote it to 1.4 billion dollars at the global box office the runner up for the most viral moment was the chinese spy balloon that floated into our airspace and into our imaginations in early february u.s defense officials have said that the balloon did not collect any intelligence and it appeared to be blown off course by high winds but it did lead to a full scare parent full-scale paranoid freakout that highlighted the deterioration in relations between the world's two great powers, the U.S. and China. What I'll remember about the spy balloon fiasco is that we took down the Chinese spy balloon and several other suspicious balloons in U.S. airspace with Sidewinder air-to-air missiles that cost about $400,000 a pop. And ultimately, most of those balloons turned out to be hobbyist weather balloons. So yeah, just to reiterate, we sent F-22 fighter jets to fire a $400,000 missile at balloons released by some weather nerds. Yeah, there was a school project, if I remember, yes. that got their poor balloon shot down by a $400,000 military missile. I kind of... I 
I remember thinking at the time, this is a good spy tactic because weather balloon or these balloons were very high up in the atmosphere. They're very difficult to uh, detect. So I understand kind of the scare of, wait a second, these things could be all around us right now. And then I also remember almost the Renaissance painting of them. First one being shot down. They were pulling it out of the water. It was this scene that just had this gravitas to it. So again, if you want to combine the things that make something viral, like you need the imagery associated with it. And Spy Balloon definitely had that. My captain's pick for most viral moment of the year was Drippy Pope. Drippy Pope refers to the viral photo of Pope Francis sporting a stylus Balenciaga-esque puffer jacket looking like he marched straight out of Milan Fashion Week, but the image turned out to be an AI-generated deepfake. It went viral, A, because it looked so dang real. It wasn't so far off that you couldn't believe the Pope actually rocked that coat. And then B, it was still in the earliest innings of generative AI when it comes to images, so people weren't as good at identifying fakes. Neil, if I remember correctly, you were originally faked out by this. Certainly. I had no idea. I was like, I don't know what the Pope wears. I don't really look. I know he wears the robe, but this was a white overcoat, you know, a little, little puffy jacket. I mean, it's cold. It gets cold in northern Italy. So, I, you know, I, I didn't know uh, whether it was real or not. And, and I guess uh, that is the whole idea of it right a lot of kind of web culture writers declared this the first mass level ai misinformation case it was again kind of in the early part of the year so people were just coming to terms with how powerful these tools were and so the juxtaposition of this religious leader in this it was also part of a trend along that time where people were kind of balenciaga affying harry potter all these different famous characters and the the two things that did end up saying that this that you could tell that it was fake is that his crucifix was a little deformed and then his glasses were kind of melting into his face so once people looked closer they did end up realizing that drippy folk wasn't as drippy as people thought earlier this month just to tie this whole story full circle is the pope called for global ai regulation there you go he's a little late you know eight months after after he went viral okay my captain's pick is all of the crazy airline passengers who went viral this year there was the marketing executive who had a meltdown on an american airlines flight claiming someone in the back of the plane was not real there were those poor souls on the delta flight heading from atlanta to barcelona that had to turn back two hours later after, and I'll just quote the pilot, pilot here, a passenger had diarrhea all the way through the plane, constituting a biohazard. And finally, there was that off-duty pilot in the cockpit of the Alaska Airlines flight that tried to turn off the plane's engines but was successfully restrained by the captain. Turns out he had taken shrooms a few days earlier and was having a real bad time of it. Overall, the rate of unruly passenger incidents on flights has dropped off by 80% since record highs during the mask mandate days of 2021, but they're still above pre-COVID levels, and the skies are busy with crazy people doing crazy things. That's what was crazy about this category to me, is that if you just said plane passenger freakout was most viral, you really wouldn't know what you were talking about. Of those that you mentioned, though, I think the worst one to be a fellow passenger on has got to be the diarrhea one. Oh I think that's unarguable. That would just be an absolute disaster. They called it, yeah, biohazard at a certain point. Disgusting. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble.
Okay, our next category and our final category is the WeWork Memorial Flop of the Year Award, our only brand name category, Neil, so congrats to WeWork for that. But the Flop of the Year winner was the Mark Zuckerberg versus Elon Musk cage match that wasn't to be. The backstory on this one is Elon kicked off the beef by replying to a tweet about Meta potentially launching a Twitter competitor by saying, I'm up for a cage match if he is, he being Zuck. Then on Instagram, Zuck responded with a screenshot of the tweet with the caption, send me location. This set off a months-long will-they-or-won't-they speculation tour where trash was talked, training videos were posted, and the world waited for these two billionaire man-children to duke it out in a cage. But that day never came to literally no one's surprise after Elon made a litany of, of excuses, including injury and scheduling conflicts. You know, what a waste of time this all was. It, it was a total waste of time. I try not to get invested. And it was actually pretty easy to not get invested. But to me, it's interesting to talk about because it is an encapsulation of the public perception of how Zuck and Elon have changed this year. It's completely flipped. I feel like in the years leading up to this, Elon was hailed as a visionary, as a big, as a, an incredible company builder, incredible entrepreneur who was smart about a lot of things. And Zuck was kind of the punching bag. He was, he was a punchline on many jokes. And I think this year that completely flipped. Zuck is seen as the adult in the room, someone who can pivot his business. He's been in charge of Facebook since he started it as a sophomore in college in 2004. And, you know, he embarked on this year of efficiency and Meta had a great, great stock run this year. Meanwhile, Elon, uh, you know, I don't know what's going on with him, but he appears to be kind of losing touch with reality a bit. He told advertisers to go F themselves on X. He spent $44 billion on this platform that is rapidly deteriorating. And uh, I think without question, he's burnt through tens of billions of dollars acquiring it. So, in terms of the cage match itself, yeah, whatever. But I feel like it does kind of tie these two men's fortunes together as they've as they flip this year. Who I can't believe I'm about to say this again, but who do you think would have won? Well, Zuck. I disagree with that. I'm of the mind that Zuck is so much smaller than Elon. Elon's like six one, almost two hundred pounds. Zuck is five seven, around one fifty five pounds. So size matters in in a fight i think so uh, elon did say that if the fight goes anywhere beyond beyond one round his conditioning would fail so I, this also i think people forget how awful of a fight this would be to watch watching an unconditioned person fight is so boring because eventually they just get tuckered out and they just lay there. So I'm glad for our own sake that we, we never had to witness this. All right. Maybe that'll be the last time we ever talk about the fight that was not. Okay. The runner up for flop of the year was open AI's board firing Sam Altman. The circumstances around why they sacked Altman or didn't alert anyone beforehand are still murky, but we do know it did not work out well for them. Employees mounted a coup saying they would leave and mass to Microsoft if Altman wasn't reinstated. And ultimately, the board capitulated and brought him back. This was just a bizarre situation that had us all reading up on nonprofit governance and highlighted the profound disconnect between leaders in the AI space. Some who think we need to go full steam ahead with the technology and others who worry we should slow down in the name of safety. More details have come out around this. And apparently there's this big WhatsApp group chat that features hundreds of Silicon Valley CEOs, including Mark Zuckerberg, Drew Hughes, uh, Houston, who's the founder of Dropbox and others. I cannot imagine what was happening in that group chat. It must have been popping off to, to be the person who first sent Sam Altman out of OpenAI. Just the amount of reactions you would have gotten to that, that's going viral in the group chat for sure. And I think what happened from this is Sam Altman, who was maybe a household name to some people before this, I think completely his 
image, I, I don't his persona, I don't know if it was good or bad, but just like the name recognition went through the roof after all this happened. And, you know, we handicapped the Times person of the year and we said Taylor Swift was kind of on par eight to one odds with with Sam Altman. Taylor Swift ended up winning, winning, but Sam Altman was, you know, we said that AI and ChatGPT was the biggest business news story of the year, and Sam Altman was the and is the architect of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it shows this was the second, this was the runner-up in this category. So clearly, it's top of mind for more people than just anyone who's interested in kind of like the the tech sector. Okay, my captain's pick for flop of the year is definitely SBF. Specifically, how all of his former lieutenants and friends turned on him in testimony that ultimately led to his conviction of massive fraud. Three former employees, including his ex-girlfriend Caroline Ellison, took plea deals with the government and testified that SBF directed them to commit crimes, showing how his leadership style did not exactly inspire loyalty. But SBF certainly did not help himself during the trial when he took the stand. Discussing SBF's evasive answers and going off script, his lawyer said SBF may be at the very top of the list as the worst person I've ever seen do a cross-examination. It was brutal. Remember, his whole defense relied on painting himself as this plucky billionaire genius who maybe got in over his head, but the prosecution wanted to use the testimonies of his close friends like Caroline Ellison and his co-founder to kind of show that he knew everything was happening and he was orchestrating everything, and ultimately the buck stopped with him. Although I don't wish your ex-girlfriend going on the stand to testify you against anyone. Caroline definitely came out of this on top in terms of uh, this. Yeah, this I don't know. Saga. I don't know how you can be on the bottom of Sam. I mean, <laughs> he was convicted of seven counts of fraud and conspiracy, and he's going to be convicted or he's going to be sentenced next spring, and he could get 100 years in prison. That's insane to think about. Okay, my captain's pick makes me sad to even talk about. But remember the craze around the room temperature superconductor? Scientists in South Korea claim to have discovered an ambient pressure room temperature superconductor, which was allegedly this highly efficient electrical conductor that can function without the typical low temperature, high pressure environment modern superconductors need. It was hailed as the holy grail of physics discoveries. And if commercialized, it could have given us widespread high speed maglev trains, an iPhone that doesn't overheat, and electrical bills that aren't a major monthly expense the list goes on but neil it turns out that there were some major flaws with the korean scientist paper and other attempts to replicate it resulted in failure i absolutely loved this moment of community and collective science even though it ultimately ended up being a flop yeah i you can't it was a flop and i think in the back of our minds we knew that it wasn't true but the fact that it sparked so many regular people to conduct experiments of their own and showed just maybe the best part of social media, which is regular people doing, like Barbenheimer, regular people doing cool stuff and sharing it with others, getting feedback, improving on each other's work. So that whole citizen science angle was so kind of heartwarming to see. And, you know, maybe the real superconductor is the one, the, the friends, one, we, the made friends we made along the way. Absolutely. I, I remember, especially there was this one Moscow-based uh, Twitter account who had this anime profile picture and she was apparently the first one to have replicated this this floating substance that proved that there was a superconductor so there was a while where like the two foremost authorities on it were these south korean scientists and a random uh anime profile picture person on twitter and you're like this is how science was meant yeah. to be it wasn't meant to be though stay tuned for the award show in 2024 when discovering a room temp superconductor is going to be the biggest news I story of the so. year. Man, let's do it. Okay, Toby, it was great reminiscing about all of these stories with you and everyone listening. 
It's crazy to think, but this was our last episode of the year. What a year it's been. Can't thank you all enough for tuning in, and I'm super excited to pick things up again in 2024. As always, feel free to send your thoughts on the show or say hello at our email address, morningbrewdaily at morningbrew.com. Let's roll the credits one last time for 2023. Emily Milliron is our editor and producer. Samantha Velas and Raymond Liu are our associate producers. Uchenawa Ogu is our technical director. Billy Menino is on audio. Hair and Makeup won the award for, who are we kidding? Most days taken off this year. Devin Emery is our chief content officer, and our show is a production of Morning Brew. Great show today, Neil. Let's run it back next year. 